0: The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here, and uh, it is great to be with you. If you're a guest or a visitor, Welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us this morning and and I recognize that uh, during this season of advent of uh, Christmas that that it is common uh, for uh, this season to have uh, people come who, who maybe haven't been to church in a while maybe maybe that's you maybe you haven't darkened the door of a church in many years maybe you've never come to church but but this year during this season you've been drawn, you've desired to want to come and to explore the claims of Jesus, to want to consider what the Bible says, and, and I just want you to know if that's you, whether you've, uh, this is your first Sunday or or you've been coming every Sunday, we're glad that you're here. Um, we we welcome you and know that to show up at a place and, and to not to know anyone, to walk into a place and uh, to not know when to sit, when to stand, you know, maybe not you know, do I look at the bulletin? Do I look at the screen? Those sorts of, like, it can feel kind of daunting and overwhelming, and and I just want you to know, we we are glad that you're here. You are welcome in this place. We are glad that you are here, because the truth is, is that whether you, this is your first Sunday or your uh, millionth Sunday, we are all in need of the same thing. You and me, we are both in need of the same thing, and that is Jesus. We are in need of his grace, his mercy, his kindness, because that is the message of the scriptures, that Christ is our life. That he is the center of our world, he is the king of the universe, he is the one we come and worship. And so, welcome, we are glad that you're here. And if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn to Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah 9. This is, uh, we are continuing in our look at uh, different prophecies from the book of Isaiah, during this Advent season. If you don't have a Bible, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you, and we'll project the passage on the screen in just a moment. But if you are here with us last week, you remember that Isaiah is ministering, he's prophesying to the southern kingdom. So Israel has separated, has been divided into the north and the south, and the southern kingdom is the area in which Isaiah is ministering. He is prophesying to these people, and he's doing so in the 8th century B.C., the king over the southern kingdom is King Ahaz. Now, if you've read through the historical books, you're familiar with Israel's history, you know that they have kind of an up-and-down history when it comes to their kings. Some of their kings were good. Some of them were not so good. <laughs> uh, that, that's an understatement. Uh, some of their kings were, uh, led the people in the way they were supposed to go. Others led them away from the Lord. It's been up and down, good and bad. And, and Ahaz is one of these bad kings. And if that weren't enough, that they had a king over them who was supposed to be leading them, who isn't leading them in the way that they should go, they also have these warring nations that are bearing down on them. And so for the southern kingdom, the situation is dire. It's as though they are walking in darkness. And that's where we pick up Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And we ask that as we come to it now, that you would shine your light upon us that you would open our eyes and unplug our ears so that we would see your beauty, that we would see your light, that we would hear your grace and your goodness, and that we would follow you. Father, we need your help. We need your help this moment and all of our days. And so we pray that you would help us. Help me so that the words of my mouth will glorify you. Help us all so we would be attentive to your word. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I had been walking in a fog. Those are the words that J. Todd Billings wrote in his wonderful book, Rejoicing in Lament. I had been walking in a fog. He was reflecting upon an occasion that had taken place a few years prior to his writing of his book. You see, he had received a call from his doctor, and it turned out that he had cancer, cancer of the bone marrow. He had multiple myeloma. It was incurable. On the other line, the doctor was telling him that that this was fatal. That the disease that filled his body that was attacking him, his body would succumb to. And so he wrote, I had been in a fog ever since. My world seemed to be caving in on itself with fog in every direction I turned so that no light could shine in. He'd been walking in a fog. Darkness had beset him. It had overcome him. And it's easy to imagine this, isn't it? It's easy to imagine the fog that would be surrounding him, the darkness that would come upon him. I mean, just a few weeks before, he had plans for his future. He had hopes for his family, for his children. He had dreams for his career. Weeks before, he was walking in light. But now, in the middle of the day, when the sun was at its highest, he was surrounded by darkness. Darkness. It's easy to imagine, isn't it, the fog that he would be walking in? It's easy to imagine because we've experienced it, haven't we? Maybe not because of a diagnosis, but but we know the feeling of darkness. The feeling of darkness, the uncertainty of a job, the, the difficult family relationships we may be encountering, the strain in a friendship, maybe even the season we're in now. Right, this season of Thanksgiving and Advent and of Christmas, like this season often brings with it darkness, doesn't it? I was just talking to a friend of mine the other day, and she was sharing how how this Thanksgiving and this Christmas, it is filled with sadness. It is filled with darkness because it's the first that she will spend without her mom. She died in January. And more than that, it's the first that she would spend without either of her parents because her father had died years before. And so it's darkness that comes in this season. And we know this, right? This is why we resonate when Charlie Brown says, I know I'm supposed to be happy. I know I'm supposed to be full of joy. I know that this is a season of light, but but Linus, I'm just sad. I'm depressed and I'm downcast. We know the Darkness. It feels like we're walking in it, even in the middle of the day. The darkness can shade our thoughts and our desires and our days. You know what this is like. So do I. We've experienced it in the past, and surely we will experience it in the future. We know the darkness that can come upon us. And so too do God's people. We heard it in verse 2, right? The people who walked in darkness, there's a darkness that has fallen upon God's people because of their rebellion against God, because of the nation's breathing threats against them. They are surrounded by darkness. And it's into that darkness, into their situation and their circumstance, that God comes with a word of hope. It's into the darkness that God proclaims hope. Did you hear it in verses 2 and 3? The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. We heard it, right? Those in darkness, they have seen a light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, light has shined on them. And this is what we long for, isn't it? For light to penetrate the dark? I mean, just when we walk into a dark room, right, we're, we're looking for the light switch. We hope we can find it before we stumble over that toy, before we hit our shin on the chair, right? We, we want the light to penetrate the darkness and to send the shadows away. But it's not just in the rooms when we might bonk our shin or stub our toe. We want the light to shine into the darkness of our hearts and of our minds. right? I mean, just think about this from a few months ago. It feels like an eternity ago, but just a few months ago when we were in lockdown. I know we don't want to think about that, right? Like that, that was a, uh, let's just say it was not a very enjoyable season, right? Um, we don't want to think about it, but think back on that. When we were scattered into our homes, when we were separated from friends, when we couldn't see one another face to face, it felt like darkness, didn't it? And so what did people do? Do you remember how many people responded in the midst of that lockdown, in the midst of the darkness, they, they ascended into the attic and they climbed into their basements and they pushed away the boxes and they found that one box that said on the side, Christmas lights. And in April and May and June, houses had Christmas lights on them. Did, did y'all see this? Was it just my neighborhood that people did that? No, no, right? Like driving through the neighborhood and you could see in their front window a Christmas tree in April, right? These people who would fight you to the death and argue with you for days that Christmas doesn't start till after Thanksgiving were putting up lights in the middle of spring and summer. And why? Because the light scatters the darkness, Because though the darkness of whatever we are experiencing, the light, it it takes the gloom away. There is hope that comes from the light. And y'all, what Isaiah 9 is telling us is that there is a light that is more powerful and is far deeper than a string of twinkle bulbs. It's the light that comes from God. Did you see it? The light of verse 2? It doesn't come from us. The people see the light. It shines on them. It doesn't come from us. We don't well it up within our hearts. We don't just think happy thoughts about unicorns and flowers and butterflies and those sorts of things. And all of a sudden, the darkness disappears, right? That's not the kind of light we're talking about. It's a light that doesn't come from within us. It's a light that is shown on us. It comes from God. That's what the prophet is proclaiming that the hope that we have, that the darkness from sin and from the fall, the darkness from death and disease, it will one day be scattered by the light of God. That is the hope he is proclaiming. And this hope that he is proclaiming is a hope that is sure. Did you notice that the words in verse 2, they're all in the past tense? Did you notice that? They walked in darkness. They've seen a great light. They dwelt in a land full of darkness. Light has shone on them. It has shined on them. It doesn't say we will see or it will shine. It says it has shown. They have seen. Okay, what's going on here? Because this is something to take place in the future. Well, this is what theologians call a prophetic perfect. A prophetic perfect. Perfect is getting at the tense of the verb. That's why it's translated in the past tense. But it's a prophetic perfect because the prophet is looking to a future occasion. But he is so sure and so convinced that this thing is going to take place that he can speak of it in the past. He is so convinced that this will take place. You can put your money on it, that this is going to happen. He speaks of it as though it already has. You see, he's sure. He's sure. The hope that is proclaimed is sure. It's not wishful thinking. That's how the world thinks about hope. Wishful thinking, right? We, we say, like, I hope I, I get a bike for Christmas. I hope I make a good grade. I hope I, I get that promotion. Really, what we're saying is, I wish. We have no grounds for thinking that those things will come about. We're saying we wish, but... But that's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope isn't wishful thinking. Biblical hope, as Vaclav Havel put it, is a condition of your soul, not a response to the circumstances in which you find yourself. You see, biblical hope isn't determined by by the occasion that we're we're in. It's, It's not determined by the darkness or the light. Biblical hope is something much deeper than that. In fact, I would go beyond what... Havel says, and say that biblical hope is a condition of our soul that is grounded in God's word and rooted in his promises. See, hope ultimately is the belief that regardless of the darkness, there is light. And there is light because because God has promised it. It's what he says in verse 7, right? The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. He will. The light of God will shine into the darkness. Now, it doesn't mean that we won't experience the heaviness of the dark. We will, and we have. I mean, th- this is why the Psalms are filled with lament. This is why we have prophetic utterance. This is why we have Advent because of darkness. We will still experience the heaviness of darkness, but, but in the midst of that, God's light shines. And because of that, we can rejoice before him and our joy will increase. That's what we see in verse 3, right? As the light has shined upon the people, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. You see, our hope increases because of the light that has shined. But this hope that is proclaimed, it's not just proclaimed, it's also personified. So in the midst of the darkness, God declares he's going to give his people a person. Now put yourself in the shoes of Israel, of the southern kingdom. What kind of person would you want? You've got a bad king, right? So we, we want to get rid of that guy. And we need someone who's going to help us as uh, Syria and the northern kingdom are coming against us. And maybe Assyria eventually is going to come. So what kind, of, what kind of person do we need? What kind of light do we need? What kind of hope? Well, we need a king. And we need not just any king. We need a king who's going to brandish a sword and come riding in on a white horse, right? And he's going to have a big shield. We're thinking like Maximus, right? William Wallace. We're, we're thinking Iron Man or Bond, right? Like this is what we are in need of, right? If he has a cape, that would be awesome. That's the kind of person we need, right? But what does God give them? In the midst of their darkness? In the midst of their need, he gives them A child. You see that in verse 6? For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. A child? A son? A, A baby? This is God's answer to their darkness? But look, this isn't just any son. It's not just any child. Look how he's described. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And listen, each one of those titles could be a sermon in of themselves. And in fact, they, they were. <laughs> a number of years ago, if you were with us when we were still at North Cross, we actually spent an advent looking at each one of these titles. And we took them week by week. And so, so we could spend a full sermon looking at each one of them. And we don't have time to do that this morning. But we need to note that th- what these titles are getting at. See, what they're pointing us to is the fact that this son, this child that is to be given, isn't just any child, and he isn't just any son. He is a king, but he's divine. He's the divine king. That's what these titles are getting at. Wonderful counselor. Wonderful counselor. Literally, it should be translated, wonder of a counselor. Because that word wonderful in the Hebrew is not an adjective, it's a noun. Wonder of a counselor it's, it means that this king will embody true wisdom and knowledge that is beyond all human knowledge. Mighty God, he will rule with truth and might, power so great that he doesn't just dispel the darkness but he defeats evil. Everlasting father he's the king who rules over his people but but this isn't don't don't blend between God the Father and this son. no no, they are two different. Two different persons. Now, he's everlasting father in the sense that he is king. In the Old Testament, the king of Israel would sometimes be referred to as the father over Israel. And so that's what this is speaking of, that, that he is the greater father. He is the true father, the great father. David himself called Saul his father. And in his kingly role, his, this father will love and protect his people. He's the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Over his people and over the places in which he rules, there will be peace. And so we see that even just like a skimming of the surface of these titles, right, just running past them quickly, we can see easily that this is not just any king. This is not just any child. This is the divine king, who in verse 7, we're told, sits on the throne of David, whose kingdom will have no end. He will establish his kingdom with justice and righteousness forevermore. This king, this hope of his rule, we know is Christ, is Jesus. He is the child that is born. He is the son that is given, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. And because of Christ's life and death and resurrection, he is the one who brings peace. That's what we hear in verse 5. This king who comes... Every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. So do you hear what he does? He brings an end to war. He brings an end to battle and to death. That under his rule, there's no need for boots or or for the garments of war because they are burned up. That is what he does. Christ, where there was once war, he brings peace Where there was once enmity, he brings fellowship. Where there was darkness, he brings light. And we know he does this. We know he does this because we know the cross. Because it was in the cross that Jesus took our sin upon himself. He took our sin upon himself, and in doing so, what did he do? He brought peace between us and the Father. Right? That's what we declare every single Sunday. Because of what Christ has done on our behalf, the peace of Christ be with you and also with you, right? That that is the peace that he brings, that, that the rebellion that was once there between us and the Father, because that's what we were. We were rebels. There, that rebellion is no more. We are now family. Where there was enmity, there is now fellowship. That is what Christ does through his cross. He brings peace. But if that was all that he did, I mean, it, that would be enough, but he does even more. Because by his resurrection, he has defeated death. And he shares with us this life that he gives, right? We have been raised with Christ, we're told. That we have new life because of his resurrection. And he ascended in heaven. And 1 Peter tells us he declared victory over the spirits in prison. See, Christ brings peace. The peace promised of Isaiah 9, because Christ is this mighty God this eternal father, this prince of peace, this wonderful counselor, this one who rules over this world. This is what he does. But we know that this peace has only come in part, right? Because there is still enmity, and there is still war, and there is still battle in this world, and there is still darkness. It has only come in part, but But we also know that the promise of Isaiah 9 will find its fulfillment, its ultimate fulfillment, when Jesus returns in his second advent. Because when he comes in his second advent, peace will reign throughout the earth. Peace will reign throughout the earth. There will be no more death and wars and tears and darkness. Do you remember in Revelation we're told that the the shining of Christ will be so bright we will have no need for the sun, S U N. Because the sun, S-O-N, will be so bright that he will dispel all of the darkness and we will live in his light and we will dwell in his peace. That is what Christ does. That is what he is doing. This is what verse 7 declares. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Y'all, do you hear that good news? There will be no end to the breadth and to the length of his peace. As the hymn declares, he comes to make his blessings flow how far? As far as the curse is found. Wherever the curse is found, that is where his blessing comes. That is what Jesus has promised to do. That is the promise of Isaiah 9 that Christ is this King who comes to bring blessing and to bring peace. His blessing, His peace, His light, it will one day fill His creation forever. And so, friends, today, as we walk in darkness, as we feel the burden of sadness, as we experience the yoke of grief, know that Christ, He is our light. He is our light and John tells us that the light has shined into the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The darkness cannot overcome it. Christ dispels it. That is the hope of Isaiah 9, that there is no darkness too dark or too heavy that can overcome Jesus. And so have hope. Today have hope. Hope in the promise that is proclaimed. Hope in the child who was born. Hope in the Lord of hosts. Isaiah tells us he will certainly do it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that in this day of darkness, in this time of uh, difficulty in seasons of distress, that there is hope. There is hope because you, Lord Jesus, have come and you are the light of this world. And your light has shined into the darkness and it has dispelled it. And so we pray and ask that you would help us to be a people of hope. Make us a people who walk looking to the light, who follow the light in all of our ways, knowing that we have hope because of what you have done on our behalf. And so help us to do that today. Help us to rest in you, our God and our King, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.